Welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've come from uh, an advance preview screening of Spike Lee's Black Klansman, which is out this weekend. Yes. Uh, on, on general release. Um, we, we saw a preview screening with a Q&A. Yes. Uh, that, was, uh, that was at the BFI. It was broadcast or simulcast to, to cinemas around the country. Yes. Around the world, just, even. Yes, we've just come from it, and Mike already wants to see it again. I already <laughs> want to see it again. I think it's a really interesting film, mm. um, and I think it will become more interesting on on, on reflection. Um, so, um, it's I think it's probably the case we'll get into spoiler territory quite early. So, before we do any of that, I would say I think it's a really, really interesting film to see, um, with a ton of good performances and uh, a, a beautiful look, and uh, a clearly kind of um, Spike Lee in, in the um, Q&A kind of referred to it as sort of contemporary history or contemporary version of history which I think is really true I think I think it's what uh, Spike Lee has been consistently doing over the last 30 years but only when at his best which I think this is which is to generate a cultural con- this film will generate a cultural conversation uh, on things that are important and that matter you know, and it'll get people quite heated, actually. Mm. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, the film to me is a great, great success in achieving just that. Yeah, uh, it, it's the true story of uh, a man called Ron Stallworth, who was a black man who entered the police force in the 1970s um, in Colorado and kind of undertook a sort of ad hoc um, uh, undercover sort of investigation of the KKK, mm. um, which was undergoing, I think, a kind of resurgence at the time. It's mm. always been bubbling. Um, I think at the in, in this period, it was coming back under David Duke. Yes. Um, uh, the, the the kind of twist, I suppose, um, that came across in the trailers was uh, that Ron Stallworth was speaking to the clan on the phone, mm. um, them not knowing he's a black man and thinking mm. he's a white man, and then he was played in real life when they had to meet him uh, by a white cop who who's working with him. Mm. Um, that is the spoiler-free sort of pricey of the story. Yeah. Spoilers from now on, right? Um, so, well, we had a brief conversation just afterwards, I mean the briefest, about what you thought of... Uh, let me just uh, double-check. Uh, John David Washington. Yes. Who's Denzel Washington's son, I'm led to believe. Ah, that's okay, that's interesting. Who plays um, Ron Stallman. Okay. Oh, that's interesting, actually, because... I mean, I, uh, I think he's very good, but I think he's not a star. Uh, and by that, kind of, I mean somebody who almost automatically draws your attention, mm. you know. Uh, and um, it's, it's not a major flaw in the film, but it is a little bit of a lack, yeah, in the sense that he's playing opposite... Adam Driver. Adam Driver, who is very charismatic, but who, in fact, is playing a supporting part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's, the, he's the white counterpart to, to his Ron, Ron Stallman. Yes. Um, and, you know, and yet I found myself, you know, uh, more, more mm. watchful of what Adam Driver was doing, you yeah. know, than of what the protagonist was doing. So now that might just be because, you know, I'm white and, you know, kind of a, a black audience might not share, you know, that that experience but I just thought that the, the lead actor lacked star quality 
Um, I think I think there's an element of truth to that. I I liked his stillness. I think he was going for um, probably uh, a kind of a coolness, maybe, or a sort of uh, like a stoic power in his stillness. I was saying that the, the film kind of starts off with him entering the police force and being asked mm. uh, at, at sort of point blank range, "What would you do if someone called you a nigger?" Mm. Um, and he responds completely stoically and, and, and straight faced and says, and he's pushed on it. Um, and eventually he says um, something like, uh, so if I had to, I would, I would stand up to it. Or some, I can't remember exactly what he says, but well, essentially... The first, the first thing he says is, would, any ask, would anybody call me that in this, depa- in yeah. this place? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but he doesn't do that with the, with the kind of, oh, would they do that? He does it very, very deadpan. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like, you can imagine kind of Ryan Gosling sort of being an influence on, on the performance. You know what I mean? That... Mm. that that complete blankness and letting kind of everything around him kind of do the dramatic work. It's like, a, like almost like a Buster Keaton. I think you can see those kind of influences on it. Um, and I think it is not like the way that Ro- the way that Ryan Gosling does it. You, you can't take his eyes off Ryan Gosling when he's doing nothing. Mm. That's not the case with uh, John David Washington in this. But I don't. I didn't have a problem with him. Still, I, I I did like him as a central. Yeah, no, he's 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 very good. You know, uh, I mean, in a way, kind of, you can't fault him. And this is just kind of an observation because mm. I I actually think that you know maybe the difference between this film being a success, which I'm very sure it will be, and it being you know like a breakout. Hit or something would would be you know in casting, you know a charismatic star in that part actually, mm. you know of which now there are several, uh, you know that he could have chosen from. Mm. Um, I feel it's, I feel he's an appropriate kind of actor. I mean that that sounds like damning with faint praise. Let's say he was appropriate rather than great, but I th- I think he really really fits the role. Okay, well, um, so maybe that's a taste issue. Who knows? But that's that's a slight difference between us, I suppose. Yes, um, um, or is it really? Because you know, I'm not disputing that he's he's good. He's mm. okay. Like you can't fault anything that he does. Well, I think it's taste insofar as your taste would appear to be someone more charismatic, whereas mine, I appreciate the reasons or the, or the way that he plays the role. Um, but the way that he plays the role and whether he has charisma or not are two separate things. Mm. Well, okay, what he brings to the role or, or the way that I he... mean, imagine a young Denzel Washington playing this or the young kid who was in Fruitvale Station and... Michael like, B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan, you know, or somebody like that playing this part. Maybe uh, there would be too much attitude. Well, it's not a question of... It's not <laughs> attitude, it's just charisma, you know, kind of, um, yeah. you know, or... It, as they say, or you know, whatever. I mean, because it's very kind of undefinable what makes some people, yeah. you know, people you really want to watch, and others are just kind of, you know, uh, uh, more ordinary. You know, kind of they could be very good actors, but still not be stars. I think this, you know, the film would have benefited from having a star play that part. Okay. You know, and by star, I don't just mean a name or something that's currently fashionable, but just someone, someone with that with charisma. It. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do get what you mean, and. I, um, and yeah, I appreciate that. Um, anyway, uh, that's so far from you know oh, what the yeah, film is about, of course it is, you know, yeah. and what it it achieves, you know, and how it makes you feel. I mean, actually, there were so many things that I found, you know, absolutely um, kind of just extraordinary. So, you know, one of the one of the things that Spike Lee is often accused of is that he makes films about issues. 
right, that never go beyond issues, that he's not a real artist, he's just kind of, you know, uh, mobilizing kind of a series of debates or dramatizing a series of debates in the culture that he once heard. And yet there were things in this film that just, I thought, were like so incredibly striking. There was that montage of black faces, uh, you know, hearing um, the speaker at the Black Power meeting, right? Yeah, you know, his name Kwame Toure, I think. Is uh, the cinematographer. No, 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 the speaker. The speaker. Kwame yeah. Toure, yeah. Um, so, uh, who I thought was very charismatic, by the way. Uh, um, but anyway, you, you remember those close-ups? They're like these glowing close-ups of these black yes. faces with afros, you know, kind of enraptured. And each face is kind of made, you know, beautiful and attentive. And, you know, and actually there was just something so very artful about just the composition and lighting of those faces, mm. right? I kind of, I thought... And, the, and they're composed in these kind of ethereal sort of... Uh, well, compositions where they just they, they, they move together and beyond each other and fade in and out across each other on the screen. Yes. Um, yeah. So I thought I thought that was just you know incredibly artful uh, uh, cinematically. I thought the narrative and the way that it kind of developed right because you know kind of part of what the narrative tries to do is a condemn the KKK, b give a history of it. And that moment when, you know, Harry Belafonte appears and gives a history lesson about that lynching of that young black man uh, who was, uh, uh, and the lynching was kind of sparked uh, by Birth of a Nation. Yeah, it happened the year after. Yeah, can you remember the name of the man who um, was lynched? Uh, I'm just fine. it's Jesse something, but I will um, find it. One moment. Uh, while you find it, let me just say, there was something so moving to me about seeing, you know, the great Harry Belafonte give that history lesson to those young people. And actually, again, you know, the conception of that scene, the way that it was shot, you know, these, these black kids holding up, you know, these blown up pictures of this historical incident that had been sparked by a movie being given by, you know, next to Sidney Poitier, the most charismatic and greatest kind of black film star, you know, of the mid, you know, 20th century. Uh, and also, you know, I kind of, I just find the whole idea of Harry Belafonte kind of moving, right? Because, you know, he was Mr. Calypso, Mr. Light Entertainer, Mr. Movie Star. He was so incredibly handsome, right? Uh, he... He had everything to lose and nothing to gain by becoming a black rights activist at the time that he did. And yet he made that choice, you know, which could conceivably have meant him losing everything, really. Yeah. You know, uh, by being politicized in that way. So I have enormous admiration for him as an artist and as a man and as a, and as a political activist. And it was moving to me to see him now, you know, looking his age... Right, but giving this history lesson to the young, to, you know, to the younger people, I thought that was beautiful. Yeah, Jesse Washington is the name of the man who was killed, uh -huh. who was lynched. Um, and I, I wanted to bring this up because I think the film is really conversant with the idea of the importance of culture yes. and the importance of imagery. There are four central moments where where films are talked about and mm. their importance is related. So the first is um, when Kwame Ture is giving this uh, polemical speech uh, uh, um, to a group of uh, black students. Um, uh, he talks about watching Tarzan 
yeah. and how Tarzan is a white man and his enemies are black savages in the jungle. And and he says, when I was a kid, I cheered for Tarzan. You know, I wanted, I'd say, kill them, kill them. Mm. And I realised when I grew up that I wanted, that I was saying, kill me. Mm. And so now when I watch Tarzan, yes. you know, I'd say, kill the beast. Yes. Something like that. Um, uh, which speaks, to, you know, the, the, basically speaks to the power that, that culture has to shape what you think of, of yourself, mm. you know, and, and, and everything Completely. around you. Um, then a little later, there's a conversation between uh, Ron and his girlfriend, who is this uh, girl who, who, the president of the, um, the, the, the students' chapter that invited the speaker. Yes, the black uh, student, the black power movement at the university. Right, um, where they're, they're talking about uh, black exploitation movies of the time, essentially. Yes. And one of the things that they bring up uh, is um, Shaft or Superfly. Mm. Um, and she says, in quite, quite explicitly, um, clearly Shaft, an undercover detective is uh, a pimp is the kind of imagery that is hugely damaging to mm. black people basically mm. so and again it's very simple and it's not really made a lot of but it's talking about the importance of image and what it you know, yes what it the, they also mention uh all the pam greer films coffee and cleopatra jones they, yeah it's the black exploitation films they mention uh, they have yeah uh, yeah an appreciation of them let's say but a, a, a critical one yes absolutely um uh, then uh, Ron is on the phone to David Duke, uh, and they're talking about Hattie McDaniel. Yes. And Duke is 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 they're talking about uh, basically black people having worked as maids mm. in their houses, and and they and they they talk about how like a good one is like a good dog. Mm. You know, you don't really know why, but you miss them when they're gone, sort of thing. Mm. But they're not human, right? Mm. And they talk about Hattie McDaniel's and the kind of and and Duke. Uh, it's tough to remember the specifics of it, but the the overall kind of effect is to say you know um i i I have an appreciation of black people because i really like this one you know oh and did you know that she won the oscar by the way you know in in that Mm. i mean it's actually tough to believe that david duke would have cared that much about wanting to impress someone about how much he liked a black person but it is in the film well but then it's also you know i love her like i love the dog yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and then the final one and and really the most important one is uh, as you mentioned, Birth of a Nation, yes. and it's shown in cross cutting. It, it, there's there's a meeting uh, of the the, the students mm. um, where Harry Belafonte's character is taught, who who is uh, uh, he's playing a friend of Jesse Washington's who who saw everything happen and then mm. hid and uh, has this story to tell. And he tells this story very soberly, and at points actually he's talking directly to the camera. It's a real mm. address to the audience, and they are they are holding up these blown up images of, of real photos that were taken at the time and, and they talk about he talks about these photos were made into postcards mm. you know um, and that's intercut with uh, the the clan having a full on robes meeting ritual with candles and putting water on you know and all this sort of stuff um, and then showing uh, a screening of Birth of a Nation mm. and, ha- and having popcorn and screaming and you know, laughing along and all that sort of thing um, and, it's, and it's shown in direct conflict and it's and it is this story about about this kind of fundamental like as you say one of the points Harry Belafonte's character makes is the lynching of Jesse Washington happened as a direct consequence yes. of that film coming out. What the film depicted is what was enacted in real life a year later. Yes, and then um, in the screening afterwards, uh, Spike Lee talked about Gone with the Wind, uh, which begins the film. Shall we be honest? 
we should be honest. We, we should be honest. We missed like the first ten seconds of the film, or the first. Yes, there yeah. is an opening uh, that is on the set of Gone with the Wind, I believe, um, yes. which we which we did miss. We walked in when um, Ron was being interviewed for the job in the police department. That's, right. That's one of the reasons I want to see the film twice because I want to make sure I catch that opening. Yeah. Um, so um, so you know, basically, part of the argument of the film is that kind of movie shape culture that you know the influence might not be direct. Right, but it's there, yeah, and kind of, you know, and one of the questions of representation is the ways that we are represented in culture affect the ways that we are represented in life. And the film is really marvelous about tying up the questions or bringing together the questions of racism, anti-Semitism, and homophobia. You know, kind of, they're all interlinked, two of them, major plot points, yeah? Kind of the Adam Driver character only comes to his consciousness as a Jew at the moment that he experiences anti-Semitism. Though, of course, unlike um, his black counterpart, yeah, he can pass. He has been passing. And, of course, you only experience anti-Semitism once somebody has a consciousness or once a ho- uh, uh, an anti-Semite has a consciousness of you as a Jew, <laughs> right? So not experiencing it doesn't mean that it's not there if you're not out as a Jew, right? So, uh, you know, this thing of how are we interpolated in culture as not belonging or as objects of racism and so on? Well, you know, if you're a gay person who's not out and who's not, you know, seen to be gay, then, you know, kind of... Uh, you will only occasionally be interpolated, you know, through homophobia when, you know, maybe some homophobic joke is made or something. Mm. If you are not, you know, out as a Jew, you know, then kind of the only moments of anti-Semitism are when, you know, kind of somebody expresses an opinion on Jews, which might be never, which doesn't mean that they don't feel it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Whereas kind of, you know, with race, yeah, you can't hide, right? Mm. So, you know, yeah, you, you are the victim of these things in in very different ways because in a way you know you cannot pass yeah yeah well this is something I wanted to bring up um, mm. particularly as a job um, so one of one of the things is that um, what Ron says to let me just check his name the, the, the character I'm driving plays because it's not enough to just, just to call him his white counterpart yes um, sorry give me, no, no, I'm, making, I'm doing the same thing his oh, name is um, it's Philip, Philip I think Flip Flip I actually call him Flip yeah. Flip yeah. Zimmerman um, so uh, he's Jewish and um, and he takes, oh, but it's not really important at the start. You you get one reference when he's when he's uh, sort of taking on the role of Ron for the first time. Yeah. They say take off that Jew necklace. He says it's not a Jew necklace. It's a star of David. But it's it's kind of light, right? You, you don't really peg him as anything. And, and this is an example of him sort of passing. It's not important really yeah. that he's Jewish. It hasn't been until now. Um, he's just basically a white guy. Yeah. Um, and and as he. One of the one of the clan members who he, who he first meets, one of the, the the first group that he meets, is very suspicious of him as a Jew, and has kind of pegged him and is trying to get out of him, and also it's quite threatening. I mean, he's putting a gun at, gun mm. on him at, at certain points. He's, he says, "Take this Jew lie detector test." So he wants him, and this kind of really confronts him. Um, but he but it's it kind of confronts him intellectually, but not viscerally like he doesn't respond like hey fuck you because it's it kind of not important basically this really spoke to me because basically a lot of what flip was saying mm. 
was basically the way I have felt for a very long time about my Jewishness, mm. right? That he he says it's never been important to me, and I was barely even raised Jewish, yeah, and so he, he says like you know I never had a bar mitzvah, which is not the case with me. I mean, I, I, from what from from what Flip says, I was more Jewish than he was. Like I had a bar mitzvah, but the central idea is the same. I'm, I just I don't feel like I'm that Jewish, and it's not that the situation confronts him as much as Ron confronts him. Yeah. It's only really when Ron points out to him that you and I are the same. That, that he starts to think about it and he has a moment a little bit later of like real reflection where he's just talking I think Ron's in the room but he's talking really to himself yes. about what he feels of his Jewish identity yes. um, and, how, and, and how he's having to kind of start to confront it himself and it really spoke to me because like they talk about him, they talk about him passing as a wasp phrase yes. it's like a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant like it's never had to matter to him in a way that obviously it has had to matter to um, to Ron that like he can't hide being black although Ron does talk about light skinned black people passing for white and yeah, making yeah. their lives you know improving their lives basically yes. um, in that way um, I, I I found that personally very interesting I spoke to you before about um, an article written by Howard um, shit what's his name the, the Manchester author who's Jewish Howard Jacobson. Oh, right, okay. He wrote an article in The Guardian, which, again, was along these lines. It said a lot of stuff I, that I've been thinking. I think you send that to me, but repeat. Yeah, um, the, the general thrust of the article, and you should look it up, Howard Jacobson in The Guardian, he was basically writing about the recent kind of rise of anti-Semitism and how he had grown up not really feeling all that Jewish. A lot of Jews are atheists. I mean, like, the idea of a Jewish atheist is is very well enshrined, you know, in kind of culture. Um uh, the Jews are sort of, they have an identity which goes beyond the religion mm. in a way that doesn't quite work in other religions mm. um, uh, or in the same way or to the same extent. Um, but that uh, what Howard Jacobson was talking about was was as someone who would ideally be voting for Labour, the anti-Semitism route that's been going on in the Labour Party at the moment is incredibly troubling because mm. I thought this was a party that I could identify with and, and I would be happy to vote for. And even though I haven't, really identified as Jewish in any meaningful way for basically ever, now it's starting to become a problem for me. I think for me, um, the issue around that, which I think the film makes clear, is that in a way, nobody gives a fuck what you individually think of yourself. And actually, probably you shouldn't either, mm. right? Because the fact is, there's a social dimension to this. So whether you feel culturally Jewish, whether you have any stake in that Jewish identity or whatever, so long as people have a stake in oppressing you for it, whether yeah. you like it or not, it's an issue. Right, right exactly. And uh, this is kind of what it was guessing. Like, I am now starting to feel more Jewish, mm. more in touch with that part of myself than I ever have mm. because of the fact that it's getting threatened yes. now and, and, and threatened more, more vocally. In and public. the film makes it so clear. At yes. the end, there's this fantastic montage you know, of the incidents in Charlottesville where, you know, all the white supremacists and, you know, the car just drove through a whole bunch of protesters. And then all of those students, what were they chanting? The Jews won't uh, own me. Jew, Jews will not replace us. Jews will not replace us. I mean, mm. you know, in 2017, mm -hmm. to be hearing things like that in one of the most advanced countries in the world... And for a hundred years, presuming itself to be the torchlight of democracy is yeah. just shocking, right? Uh, I mean, one would be very shocked to hear that in Iraq, actually. You know, to have like, you know, thousands of demonstrators chanting like that. But to have it 
in the US is yeah. And the fact, and actually, the fact is that we've seen this footage. Not, none of this footage is new. At least, if you if you are a reasonably attentive follower of the news, like this, yes. you, this won't escape your attention. But that it comes at the end of this film, which is set in the nineteen seventies, and it goes, no, this is happening today. Yes, and it's and it is getting to be as bad as it ever was. And it, uh, um, yes, and you know, uh, uh, I mean, lynchings have not yet returned, as far as we know. No, but we've seen black people of all ages completely brutalized, you know, by the police in ways that are deeply shocking, Mm. you know. um, And and the film ends. And they come close to it. And the film ends with a a, a tribute, which I didn't expect actually. Um, uh, It shows footage of um, the car attack on the anti Unite the Right rally. It was was a a counter alt right rally in Charlottesville. Um, that's where the car rammed. That's where yeah. the car rammed all, all the all the uh, protesters and killed uh, this girl Heather Heyer, mm. um, who's a white girl. Um, uh, and, and the film ends on a tribute to her, and then it shows the upside down American flag, which yes. turns to black and white, uh, and then and then goes away. Um, and that was really t- I didn't expect that at all. And that was really touching, and it brought me to sort of. I was I was very moved by yeah. the ending actually. Like I really welled up. Mm. You know, and 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 I thought that was interesting because like I really do think that Spike Lee is one of the unsung great directors of American cinema. But I also think that part of the argument against him is also true. You know, that he is a pamphleteer and a bit of a propagandist, right? You know, mm. and you know that, like when you think about uh, um, great film art, it's often about things that are complex and slightly ambiguous and mysterious that might make you feel something very directly and deeply, you know. But that nonetheless, kind of, that they're evanescent and resonate. You know, I'm thinking of, for example, you know, the beautiful moment in Tokyo Story where you know the parents, kind of, you know, are resigned to like being alone and. You know, their children have busy lives, and there's this moment of just kind of deep sadness, you know, with the understanding that, you know, this is your life, and this is your children's life, and they love you, and you love them, but, yeah, kind of, I find that, like, deeply, deeply moving, mm. right? And in ways that, I, like, I'm not explaining it well, because I can't quite put my finger on why I find I know what it you mean. moving and true, right? So, and, you, and you feel that if it were more didactic, that would be lost. That's right, and I think because... Spike Lee, in a way, is a pamphleteer, you know, he's always more sure of himself. So, which is a paradox, right? Because, you know, on the one hand, what he wants to do is get a discussion going, Mm -hmm. right? But on the other hand, he's very sure about what the parameters of the debates are, right? And then it becomes about debate rather than people or feeling, right? Mm. So I have kind of this ambivalence about that. And I think, you know... To me, like his greatest films are, you know, when when that pamphlet is almost like lit up like a flame, really, like do the right thing mm. is an example of that, or on on films uh, of his which are not uh, um, issue films, you know. Um, Can I, I disagree with you? You can, of course. And, I, and I, I'm not disagreeing specifically about Spike Lee, largely because I've actually only seen two other Spike Lee films. And he's someone who this week I'm going to make sure I see the whole lot. 
Um, the other two I've seen are uh, Inside Man, which is not uh, sort of hugely political. It's yes. a good movie, um, but um, that was, I think that was his biggest hit. It may have been, yeah. And the and the other one I've seen is Jungle Fever. Yes, I love Jungle uh, Fever, which I liked, but I don't remember that well. Well, but that that in a way, I mean, I think that's a great film. Mm. Um, but it is an issue film as well. It's yeah. about you oh, know yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. debates around racial, you know, whether a black and white couple with a yeah. yeah absolutely I'm just saying that I'm not speaking too specifically about Spike Lee though because I just don't remember that all that well and I haven't seen his other work okay no um, well I'm, but, I'm a huge admirer uh, but one I think is that I would like to see more propaganda in movies um, and what I mean by that is I get a little bit sick and tired of ambiguity especially when it's ambiguity David Bordwell I think we may have spoken about it before even David Bordwell has written about strategic ambiguity where a film won't let you know what it thinks and it, it, it gives you different ways of interpreting it so that it doesn't alienate anyone basically and doesn't hurt its bottom line and I want to know what an artist thinks I don't want it necessarily to be hitting you over the head and, and trying to sh- and you know trying to trying to scream at you that this is what you should think. I mean, you talked about... Remember we talked about A Wrinkle in Time mm. and how you literally had Oprah sort of saying, this is the way the world should be and I am right. Like, I'm not talking about that. But I want to know what an artist thinks, um, really. And I think that's what you get in this film. Uh, and I really like that. I want to come out with... I want to know what, what your opinion is. And the, I, in a way that I can disagree if I want. No, but I, I just think films are not essays. You know, um... That's and not, and that's not. I'm not talking about an essay, though. I'm talking about wanting. I'm, I, I don't want it. To, I don't like the idea of ambiguity masking. I'm not talking about ambiguity. I'm talking about mystery. I mean, I think things are comp. You know, I think the best artists do things that, on the one hand, affect you directly. You understand them, right? But as soon as you try to consciously explicate what gave you that understanding what gave rise to that feeling mm. it evaporates because actually the film is greater than you are <laughs> like yeah the film has kind of given you this this deep and complex feeling or understanding uh and that's what i think great art does you know and i and i don't think that you know um dramatizing contemporary debates on an issue uh, often succeeds in doing anything as great as as Ozu mm. or Buñuel or for me Antonioni or people like that. I just don't see it. Mm. Uh, and I think actually that um, you know that Spike Lee is a great pamphleteer, you know, and this is one of his very best films. Uh, and you know. He's telling stories that need to be told, and he's kind of dramatizing a history that needs to be known. You know, for me, there's no question about any of that. Uh, but I also think that that's his strength, and that's also his limitation as, as an artist. I, I I appreciate the fact that I basically come out of this film going, I know exactly what the filmmaker thinks, and it gives me room to disagree. It gives me room to interpret. I mean, that's why we can have a whole conversation about mm. it. Um, it's not as simple as saying I've read an essay and now I know like you know what I mean yes. it, um, there is clearly room for interpretation it, the, the film is being the story is being told artfully and, and through images that require interpretation well let me tell you um, if you if we are going to do another podcast on this I recommend yeah. that you watch Bamboozled because Bamboozled oh, oh, this week I'm going to absolutely see everything with Spike Lee's well begin with Bamboozled because that's kind of a history of black representation in cinema that is okay it's theme 
Sure. You know? Uh, and it, it, I think it links up very interestingly uh, with this one. Um, the films that I like best are, you know, his, like Clockers, you know, which I think is one of the great unsung masterpieces of American cinema. Right. Right. Um, and it's just a drama. <laughs> right. Uh, 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 so, and of course, I love She's Gotta Have It. And I mean, actually, for me, there was a period where, I mean, he's just such a, you know, significant filmmaker. Mm. Uh, She's Gotta Have It is a landmark film. It really kind of began, you know, or, or was central. It didn't necessarily begin. There was a cluster of films, you know, that really began the whole American independent cinema movement in the mid-80s. And She's Gotta Have It was one of them, you know. Uh, uh, so, um, and then kind of, you know, I, I, I saw... Uh, School Days, and of course, Do the Right Thing, and Mo Better Blues, and Jungle Fever. You know, I didn't see Malcolm X, uh, but then I did see uh, Crooklyn and Clockers and Girl Six. And then I kind of, 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 of the films that he's done since then, I've only seen Bamboozled. Right. Right. So basically, since the year 2000, I kind of. Um, I haven't, yeah, I haven't... Uh, 25th Hour was 2000, wasn't it? You've seen that? Yes, I have. Okay, so well, since the year 2000, yeah. I thought, um, yeah. So, so I, think it's, I think it's interesting that he's come back, you know, with this kind of issue film, yeah, that he's made this kind of issue film that feels so alive and resonant and emotional. I actually, I think it's a great film. Mm. I, think, right, I so. think the phrase issue film... Uh, has just the, the barest kind of negative connotation in that it suggests that that is all it is. See what I mean? Whereas that, this film, uh, it, it suggests that the film is limited in a way, which I don't think it is. Um, um, but, but that's a nitpick, just in the phrase. Yes. Um, um, I mean, I feel ambivalent because actually I do think yeah. it is a limitation. Yeah. Okay. You know, I kind of, for example, I never feel that I know anything about the people involved. Right, like you know, it doesn't give you uh, uh, much of an insight into you know who was this woman who was a student activist, you know, who is this guy who isn't you know is the first police black policeman in Springfield's Colorado, and mm. what's his history? What are his wants, his desires, his psychology, his history? Like you know, not, like they're they're all points in an argument rather than people. That's true, actually. Yeah, um, um, none of them, even the main characters, really a full person. They are all... Every character is filtered to you through the issue of the film. Yes. That's, and I think yeah. that's, that's actually a fair sort of criticism. Although now, I, that might not be a bad thing in making this film a, a huge success in the ways that it is a huge success. Mm. You know, because I have no doubt that the film will generate an argument. It's a very intelligent argument. I'm really glad to see artists engaging in social arguments, engaging with the world that they live in, mm. you know, and kind of trying to imagine a way that it could be bettered, right? That is, I think, also part of the job of art to do those things. But, you know, yeah, yeah I, I do yeah. think that this kind of work, to me, is... Um, yeah, it, it's it's not uh, so in my in my estimation, the very greatest works 
are those like Lubitsch and Ozu and mm. yeah, where you really, I don't know, you just have this, they increase your understanding of what it is to be human. Do you think Lubitsch could have made a film like this? No, not at all, you know. <laughs> um, uh, uh, is that a limitation of Lubitsch? <laughs> I'm needling thing, you here, but... No, well, let me give you a response, yeah. because actually I think Lubitsch did the best film about Nazi Germany, mm. you know, and he did it as a comedy. And he did it absolutely brilliantly as a comedy. And it's the best satire and condemnation, you know, um, that I know of. In the worst kind of circumstances, it's a film that you didn't want to see. <laughs> which, film, which film is that? To Be or Not to Be. Okay. You know, uh, uh, you know which is both a great political film. It's an argument. It's an indictment of a, of a you know, of, of, of a regime. You know, and it does so all as a comedy, uh, and it's also kind of a work of art, really. You know, whereas I would argue that, you know, this is a great film, it's very entertaining, you know, and it makes a great argument that will generate lots of lively debate. I wouldn't say it's a work of art. Okay. Also, the the film that um, people really speak about is a comedy that's uh, anti-Nazi comedy, it's a great dictator. Chaplin. Yes, also. Um, which I and I that came to mind for me uh, during Black Klansman in in its sense of humour, and I think it, it treads a really delicate line because so so, so, so it's, there's, there are laugh out loud funny things yes. in Black Klansman. It has a really good sense of humour, and at points I I, I was thinking, um, at what point does does ridiculing um, the, the the KKK and the various people within it and the way that they think and respond to things. Um, at what point does ridiculing that trivialise it yes. to the point where you're not taking it seriously enough because they are a real threat and, and when it breaks into modern day footage of the resurgence mm. of, of fascism and racism basically uh, um, mm. in America, you know, it becomes very clear that this is not funny. Yes. You know, this is a real threat and people have really died over this in, in, in countless numbers over the years. Um, so and it is a delicate line, I, and um, so for instance, there's the moments with David Duke where there are a couple of he's always on the phone to him, and you could call it a prank phone call, but it's not really. It's 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 undercover. But there are a couple of moments where it becomes a prank phone call, and Ron has another cop with him, and the second time he has a bunch of cops with him, mm. listening in on the call, laughing, um, while Ron basically takes the piss out of David Duke on the other end. Um, and those are really funny scenes. David Duke has no idea. It, it's David Duke talking about how he can tell whether he's talking to a black or a white man over the phone by his voice yes, and the way he pronounces pronounce certain bars. words. Yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, he doesn't. Re- the joke is he doesn't realise he is talking to a black yeah, yeah. man. Um, and and you know, like it, it's clearly David Duke is an incredibly stupid person, but he's also someone who has commanded an awful lot of power amongst uh, some very violent people for a very long time. And there's, and there's even one moment that the film is, is very, very uh, transparent about references to Donald Trump. Uh, yes. they talk, there's a reference to uh, America First. They chant America First. There's one point where they say something like Make America Great Again. They don't quite say that bit. It's a version. And it's- of course, there's one point where Ron says, um, no, that's stupid. America would never elect a president like David Duke. Which, of course, and that gets a big laugh because that, they bloody have. I think they're all very direct references to the present moment yeah. and, uh, and to Trump. So, so the, the reference to David Duke, then, is th- this is someone who, is, who has been very powerful for a very long time, even if people have essentially taken the piss out of him for a long time. And it's, and it's that 
I say so people have taken piss out of him, but but that hasn't stopped him being important, mm. and that hasn't stopped him having an influence. Well, also, you know, I don't like, I don't like the way people call, you know, um, these right wing extreme uh, or people with right wing and very extreme views stupid, you know, because. Um, I think it, it kind of um, undermines the threat that they represent. You just feel superior to them, mm. and in fact, they represent a real threat. And really, you know, the, uh, you you know, you can't be stupid and hold those kinds of positions. Mm. I think it's better just to accept that they have a different a different view of human beings, a different view of the world, and that they're very intelligent in finding strategic ways of achieving their goals that shouldn't be minimized. And I th- and so what I am trying to reckon with at the minute is whether this is a good or bad thing in the film in that the film portrays Duke as stupid in those phone calls, yes. right? And you and you you laugh heartily at how stupid he is being. Um and then it's but it's short-lived because moments later you're seeing footage of Charlottesville and the car driving into the protesters. Um, talk- and David Duke in, in modern day. Yeah, exactly. Um, and 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 the question is, is that sh- is that short lived nature? Because the film is giving you a big hearty laugh and actually a win over David Duke. Because what happens at the end is Ron reveals to Duke over the phone that he is a black man who's been who's been uh, you know undercover the whole time. Ha ha ha. Hmm. Um, and like I say, that's short lived because it it's cut later with 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 the, the modern day kind of tragedies and. Is it a good thing that it's short-lived because it, it gives you it should make you think, or is it a bad thing because the film is giving you that laugh, and it's and it's not really <laughs> no because I think that's that's not the only thing that the film does. Yeah. So I think it's a good thing because on the one hand, you know, it gives you that laugh, right, and you know, it shows you situations, it it gives you a point of view on them, uh, and so on. But then I think the ending is very significant because what happens is, you know, you have Superfly and, you know, Cleopatra Jones. <laughs> yeah, the hero and the heroine of the story who are kind of framed in a way by those black exploitation films and dress and, you know, and attitudes and so on. Yeah. And then there's that, there's that famous shot which actually Spike Lee uh, in um, the, Q&A. the Q&A described... The uh, double dolly. Yeah, which I always thought of as a treadmill shot, that they put the <laughs> camera on the treadmill, right? Yeah, well, it's, it's the camera dollying, and the actors are on a platform dollying, dollying as well. Them. That's right. So that, you know... Uh, and it's become his signature. Okay. Do- yeah, but that's actually taken from Le Parpli de Chaubourg. Yeah. Oh, no, he, do- he right. says that himself. He didn't invent it, he but he's made it his it. signature. You know, I saw it in, in, in Jacques Demy first. Uh, but anyway, the, that's not the point. The point I'm trying to make here is that you have like this almost mythic couple now, if it's framed by Shaft and Cleopatra Jones and, you know, the imagery of coffee and Superfly and so on. And then they're, they're, they, they've come together as a couple now and they go on this treadmill, you know, and they, head, and they, they go into a future which is threatening, but on the other hand, it's also kind of, yeah, it's dreamy and glamorous and, yeah. Mm. And then what, is, what does the shot transition to? The present. And what's the present? David Duke's still there, and he's take, mm. being taken more seriously than ever, 
right? He's yeah. at a rally and he's a now, you know, well, a he national. Ha- he has the ear of the president. He has the ear of the president. He's a national figure. And then what is that gone along with? You know, the, the you know, all the protests, uh, the uh, black people being brutalized by the police, you know, kind of Jews won't. Jews will not replace will us. Will not replace Thanks us. Thanks for making me say it again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and kind you know, and that's actually. So things have not improved, things have not gotten better, you know, if anything, actually they've regressed. There's a phrase, the ending is the conceit, and and the ending of this film is is the entire project, which is to say, things have not changed. This has been going on forever, and it is still going on, and it's just as bad as it ever was. Yes. Um, Yes. So that might be a good note to end the first part of our... Podcast. Yeah, I, I really would like to see it again. I think okay. there's a lot of food for thought. I'm afraid I had to, I'm sorry I had to cut it slightly short because I've got to get to work. I'm half an hour late, but <laughs> yes. Well, anyway, I think this has been a good discussion, so we'll continue it at another point. Yeah, I've really enjoyed uh, it. I hope you join us for the rest of the discussion, uh, and thank you very much for listening. Yep. We are on Twitter, SoundCloud, Facebook, iTunes, YouTube, and all the rest of the internet. <laughs> thank you very much for listening. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs>